May all grace, mercy, and peace come to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know that most people think that flying is more dangerous than riding in a car? you believe that? It's true. People are more afraid of flying than riding in a car. And why do you think that is? They think it's more dangerous. Well, I'll tell you why it's more dangerous or why they think it's more dangerous. Because when a plane goes down, it makes national news. It's all over the place. But how many car accidents happen in a day? Go out on I-4. There's at least one every hour around our roads, right? We become immune to it. It just happens. But you rarely ever hear about deaths in car accidents. You always hear about them in plane accidents. But did you know? that there are some 400,000 deaths per year in car accidents alone in the U.S., far more dangerous to drive than it is to fly in airplanes. And we're more likely to hear about those bigger things than the smaller things like car accidents. But you know that one of the most prevalent causes of car accidents is distraction, believe it or not. Distraction occurs from Talking to somebody sitting next to you, right? Or if you're like me, I like to just let my mind wander and my eyes go off to what's in the scenery where my wife, get your eyes back on the road, bud, right? Or dare I say, that little thing we call a telephone now, right? And we're, we got to answer that text message or pick up that phone call or, or, or Google something, right? Those are all kinds of things that, uh, that result in us taking our eyes off the straight road, in front of us. And those can be, well, let's say disastrous. As I said earlier, 400,000 deaths per year, not to mention the climbing costs of auto insurance. There's another kind of distraction that's just as deadly. It's spiritually deadly. And we know it, uh, that it can cause eternal destruction. We know it is temptation. Temptation. That's when we're distracted away from the things of God. It occurs when we lose our focus on Him, when we stray from His Word, when we stray from fellowship, we stray from the sacraments, when we stray from Him just in general. It happens when we're tempted to look away from the Lord instead of, uh, of turning to Him in things and relying on Him. During this Lenten season, we seek to refocus ourselves and take ourselves off of those things that cause us to be away from God and put our focus strictly back on Him as we walk this Lenten road. But so often our view is what? We're distracted by other cares and concerns of life that direct us away from Him. And so today we're going to consider the reality of temptations in our lives. And we're going to seek the Lord And ask for his guidance and his power to overcome that temptation. And we're going to consider the Bible reading from the 10th chapter of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. To guide us to escape this temptation. And there's three insights that we can glean from Paul's letter today that are pertinent to our struggle with temptation. First, we need to recognize that temptation is persistent. Persistent, persistent, persistent. It's constantly around us. It constantly seeks to pull us from our callings. 
The Apostle Paul makes this point in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 10, writing, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, don't let your guard down. Keep focused. Because temptation will catch you when you least expect it. And the reason that temptation persists is because the tempter is persistent. Satan and all of his little minions do whatever they can to seduce us in sin. In our text, St. Paul describes how the ancient Israelites were tempted with idolatry, sexual immorality, discontentment, and even rebellion against God. And notice what the devil did to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, as described in our gospel reading. Satan was persistent. He didn't stop with one, but he tried three times to tempt Jesus to sin with various tactics. And even today, Satan is tireless. If he can't get you in one area, he'll try to get you in another. He's going to check every chink in the armor. He's going to find where that weakness lies in our lives. And he'll undertake to place many temptations in our line of sight so that like a distracted driver, we're going to veer off the road, take our focus off of God and that righteous path that he seeks to lead us down. And he uses different things, whatever that may look like in your life. What works on you may not work on me, and what works on me may not work on you. We may be attacked with temptations of the flesh, appealing to our carnal appetites and our lusts. Or we may be tempted to escape the challenges of life through addictions. Where the temptations may come from the world as we are seized with greed for power or possessions. We may never know how Satan is going to attack us from one moment to the next. The second insight that we can gain about our struggle with temptation is that not only is it persistent, it's progressive. It's like telling a little light, white lie and believing it, right? And that thing snowballs and it grows and it just gets consistently, persistently, progressively worse. Starts small and it becomes more deadly. Verse 13 of our text says that temptation has the power to overtake you. And using these words, the text implies that, well, temptation can eventually subdue us, overrun us, overcome us. And there is a progression of effects that results from succumbing to it. Paul describes how the Israelites in the wilderness progress from complaints against God to outright rebellion against them to the ultimate abomination of what? Idolatry. Same is true for us. Temptation in our lives subtly grows in its destructive power. Take the example, for instance, of adultery. It begins with the attraction to somebody, you know, other than your spouse. You think, no harm done. And then it progresses to lust. But you say to yourself, I can handle it. Next, it has you having a one-night fling with somebody. And you hear a voice say, just try it. And you believe it. You believe that little lie. And ultimately, you find yourself entangled in a web of an ongoing affair that leads to the dissolution of your marriage. It starts small, seemingly insignificant, and like a cancer, it grows. And you succumb to it. And you know what? Most of the time, we never, ever see it coming. It isn't like we shot a gun and killed somebody, is it? Taking the Lord's name in vain is harmless, right? Because there's no societal punishment for it. 
Kind of like how we view the car travel versus the airplane travel. Same thing with these seemingly small sins, but it's the little things that can kill you. What appears harmless at first eventually becomes deadly. Boy, you tell you what, you give Satan an inch, he becomes a ruler. So far, this message about temptation doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Seems pretty downright dire, dour. But temptation is persistent and it's progressive. And the demons are persistently casting us uh, temptations into our line of sight, into our vision. And once the sin takes hold, it, it, it grows, it festers. But these are not the last words that temptation has. There, in fact, is hope for us. Because not only is temptation persistent, progressive, but victory over it is possible. This victory over temptation is promised in the final verse of our text from 1 Corinthians 10 today. Verse 13, which states, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What great words of mercy. What a powerful God we have at our side. We have above us. We have taken care of us. Jesus defeated temptation by entering into the ring with it. He came to temptation's territory when he fasted 40 days in the wilderness. And the devil threw all that artillery of, our, of temptation his way. Ultimately, to, drove him to the places of Gethsemane, Gabbatha, and Golgotha. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in every respect as we are. With the temptations of lust and greed and power and selfishness. But you know what? That's where the similarity between Jesus and us ends. Because the verse goes on to say that he, while he was tempted, he's tempted yet without sin. This means that although Jesus was tempted, he was not overtaken by it. He was not overcome by temptation. He didn't succumb to it. He didn't submit to it. In fact, in the very face of it, he prevailed against it. He's the only human being that can ever make that claim. To ever come overcome it. But he didn't claim it for himself. He proclaimed it for you and, you and you and you and you and you and you and me. For creation. He resisted temptation to sin perfectly in order to credit his perfect sinless life to our spiritually bankrupt account. And then, then he assumed the penalty of our transgressions, our submission to temptation by suffering and dying on the cross paying the wages of our sin and his death. So while it seems dire, while it seems there's days it's impossible to get out of it, there's hope. Notice, notice that Paul didn't say that you're taken out of temptation. Paul just said that God helps you endure it. In Christ, we have victory over temptation. First, we have that Forgiveness when we turn back to him in repentance. And then, then we have the strength of God that helps us to endure all that Satan throws our way. God will empower us to say no to temptation by keeping our focus on him and his mercy. And so this Lenten season, we travel through life with our eyes fixed on the road. The path of righteousness centered in Christ our Savior. We're not distracted by temptation or deterred by Satan's attacks. 
Instead, we keep God's mercy in our view. Know that he is faithful and will provide an escape from the treachery of temptation. All because of Christ, our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.